Hi, this is exact change. Just the right amount of overthinking. Your hosts are... (laughs) (laughs) Your hosts are Roberto, who gives zero fucks about your hiking game, bookish and vibey Scorpio queen. Their Tinder reads. And this is Claire, book vampire, insert vampire emoji, soft center, insert... (laughs) I wish they were like an... Like a... Like a, like a unfully, soft boiled egg. Oh yeah, that's good. I was gonna say a sort of unfully baked cupcake emoji. Um, cancer moon, make out maybe, and then a sort of shruggy figure, but not like the emoji, but the um, the one that's sort of the parentheses and yeah. <laughs> like, the, <laughs> like the what's it called the dashes and shit. Yeah. Your emojis on yours would, like, be, like, the no, the circle with the X, and a hiking boot, (laughs) and then, like, a bunch of scorpions, and then, like, the hole in the ground, and the bam. Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, So today, we're going to first talk about our favorite writing implements our favorite notebooks and pens um then we're gonna warm our hands on the tinder fire tell you a few juicy little stories and then we'll move on to our really exciting interview with author kate folk whose recent story out there was in the march 2020 new yorker and after that we will review uh, a show on Netflix, a little show called Too Hot to Handle. So, can you handle you this? Can you handle it? <laughs> Remains to be seen. Favorite writing utensils? So, in my hand right now, I'm holding my, my current favorite, um, which is the Pilot g207 Mm -hmm. um i used to yeah yeah, so smooth she's sexy she's she's voluptuous she's inky (laughs) um curvy she has the um the the what's it called the finger thing what is that called the the like grip pad yeah the grip pad yeah yeah she's um she's a smooth operator and um kind of gel kind of gel like um i used to i used to use the pilot g205 who's a little bit of a finer line but i wanted to be able to write faster and like just let it be a little more liquid um Mm -hmm. before that i was into microns but at a certain point, like I really needed a ballpoint for that pressure. And I also really like that I can buy a pack of these pens at the Walgreens across the street and I don't have to go to a fancy art store. Right. I have one of one of a pilot G2 in my hands also. This one is a 0.5 one though. <laughs> yeah. Not my preferred writing utensil, but I love that. I, I do love I do love that. What's your preference? 
I personally, I love this, the precise V5, mm. which I am right now holding extra fine. Um, I think the, hold on. I think they're, it's actually also produced by Pilot. <laughs> but I, apparently they have a monopoly on, on good writing utensils. Wow. But um, yeah, I, I don't know when I, I actually started using these in college and I used to write mostly in pencil, which brings me to my second writing utensil which is the the pentel um p207 pencil and i i hear it called like the the architect's pencil very frequently but i don't know why i like either of these two i i like how like slick they are i yeah, like really um, chic yeah they're really chic they i love how they feel when pen, when the tip meets the paper. <laughs> um, I also, I mean, I tend to also to re require that speed. And, and I personally like a fine, um, a fine line. Um, is that pencil mechanical? Yeah, this is a mechanical pencil. I wonder if you can, I, I can do mechanical pencil ASMR. <laughs> do you remember when you'd like hear someone's mechanical pencil in high school, like, so, or someone playing with their pen in the classroom, just sort of the, oh the click, gosh. click, click, drive me crazy. Absolutely. Although admittedly, I think sometimes I am that person if I'm feeling a little nervous in a lecture. <laughs> do you have Often. a notebook of choice yeah I, have, I guess i have two to share one of them is um it's called the loic term 1917 and it's this sort of um it's it looks like a moleskin except it features an index it features numbered or paginated pages this one is a uh this one is, what's it called? What's it called when you have like a dotted grid? I guess it's just called the dotted. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I also really like those. Uh, I think for, it depends on what I'm using it for. Right now for my writing journal is this, um, it's a one of the larger, I don't know what the dimensions are, but it's a larger moleskin and it's floppy. Has a floppy cover, mm, yeah, and that's nice. it's yeah, and it's uh, it's sort of the blank page thing. Uh huh. So yeah, you how about you with your notebook? Well, interestingly, I just tr kind of transitioned into the notebook that you were just talking about, um, but with the lined version. I really like having yeah. the paginated pages. Um, and I also, they come in really cute colors. I got a really nice bright orange one, which that sounds so cute. made me happy. <laughs> um, but I do like a soft cover, the like soft leather cover moleskin. Um, but I, I really can't do blank pages with writing at the moment. I need those yeah. lines. But you sometimes yeah, I kind collage of a little bit, right? Yeah, I do collage. That's why I kind of, I think especially for um, a personal journal, I need, I need a blank page. Yeah. 
for the gluing my little ephemera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on to our Tinder stories, warming our hands on the Tinder fire. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, we were discussing how when on the spot, it's kind of hard to come up with them. Um, but and then you come up with one and the ball starts rolling and you're like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> um, except, I mean, you're not that active on Tinder. No, I'm off Tinder. I've been off Tinder. Um, mm-hmm. It was definitely like a bit of a sinkhole. Uh, although it was a fruitful sinkhole at the time. Um, I was really like a year ago, I feel like was my Tinder heyday. Um, and summer 2019, summer 2019. It feels like a dream. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Can you even imagine? It was like, yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, I mean, I'm not on any apps right now for multiple reasons, but, um, but I've used like every fucking dating, not every one, but you know, have you been on Tinder, OkCupid, Grinder? <laughs> I've met I've met people. What was I, your fa- I put myself out there. <laughs> What's your favorite? Um, I don't know if I have a favorite, but I think um and some of them are are heinous. Uh I think well, the one I'm I will talk about is kind of heinous, but it was this guy I met on Tinder who I'll refer to as Keith and he I think we matched in the summer of 2016 I want to say it was just after I'd there were multiple events in my life that summer that were really intense and um it was my first time using Tinder and I kept hearing people talk about it before, and I was like, I will never do online dating. <laughs> I was very righteous. <laughs> I didn't have an Instagram then. I didn't have anything. I my pictures were probably. I look back at pictures from them. And I was like, what pictures did I use? Because none of the pictures, none of the selfies I took back then were very cute. Or maybe it was just not cute then. <laughs> also, like, what was my bio? Like, I don't remember what my bio. was. I don't remember any of this. Um, so yeah, so I, I matched with Keith, um, and at the time I was living in, um, San Jose and that is like an, a 52 hour drive south of, of San Francisco and Oakland. Um, and he was living in Berkeley and he was there for the summer on some sort of um what was it one of those summer uh resume building class crash courses into i think he was doing urban planning or something so it was a summer urban planning seminar or something and we had been texting I think one of the stark things I remember about when we were texting was that I would send him gifts or or pictures or something. I think it was mostly gifts, but 
he would be like, why do you send so many pictures? Or why do you send so many images? Uh, and I was mortified. I was like, uh, since when am I, like, I've, I do this with my friends. I've never been censored like this before. <laughs> anyway, so, and I had friends, I had friends, I had lots of friends who were sort of living in Oakland and stuff. And I had a place to go for when the date was over. And I went to meet up with Keith in his empty apartment, which was this sort of, what is it? It was one of, it was like a back unit to a bigger house or something. Oh yeah. Um, like so it looked like a little, in-law yeah. apartment is that what yeah an called? in-law apartment I don't know I don't really know I don't know anything I don't know about architecture <laughs> <laughs> but um so I went there he greeted me in like gym shorts and shirtless no and he, he was so he was very hot I have to say <laughs> he had this floppy brown hair and huge pink lips and and hazel eyes or whatever and and great bone just a really handsome guy and i mean we just went straight to it we like <laughs> we hooked up for hours um we probably met out at met up at noon and hooked up at least until three or four probably three-ish and i don't know i i remember him being like can i fuck you or can I put it inside you I was like no we'll do it later I was expecting there I was expecting there to be a leader and afterwards I don't know it was really fun and he, I guess a red flag should have been he went off to take a shower by himself I was like what if I need this shower like yeah. I have come on me too <laughs> come on a little hospitality I thought, and I was like, is he being vindictive because I didn't give it up right away? And then um, he went and took a shower. We, he made me breakfast of some sausage concoction. I don't remember. It was, <laughs> I mean, I was like a, it was some breakfasty situation. And then he was like, I have to go to the lab or something and and work on this project and I was like I don't want this to be over <laughs> I don't want to let and he was also like kind of like you can come too if you want or we can meet up again later um and I was just kind of like I'll I'll come with you and we ended up hanging out at the at whatever like some sort of computer lab where he was working on some three-dimensional model of for a pro for a final project for his urban planning course and I read a book or something and after and I don't know it wasn't really awkward the thing the thing was I was so naive I was so naive as to think like this is going to be great like I'm gonna we're spending this time together we're building this connection like I'm seeing your life I'm enjoying my book, even though all I can think about is like having sex again. And afterwards we walked a bunch. We walked from there to a burrito place. And then from burrito place, 
we went back to his house, although I think he was kind of hesitant about that. <laughs> Meanwhile, my friend is texting me and is like, hey, like there's this party going on. Like, do you want to come? I was like, I'm spending the night with my man. <laughs> with my man. <laughs> with my guy. <laughs> with, my, with my new guy. And so we end up back at his house and it's dark and I'm like ready to like, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't eat very much anticipating the anticipating being fucked or whatever. And he was kind of cold and Aww. we watched TV and nothing happened. Like he barely kissed me. Like he didn't seem to want to kiss me. It was so humiliating in a way, but I spent the night at his house. Um, and then I left the next morning. I went into San Francisco and, and did something. I didn't want to text him back that afternoon. I broke code. I broke all forms of social norms and like texted him a picture of something I saw in like this stupid cafe with walls, wallpaper that was sort of these ripped up pages of an old encyclopedia and someone had written something like how do I stop thinking about you? Or like, why can't I stop thinking about you onto the wallpaper? And I took a picture of it and like sent it to him, even though I knew it was the wrong move. <laughs> it was humiliating. I was naive. I'd never been on, and I didn't know anything. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like all those rules were, didn't apply to me yet because I was yeah. a newborn. I was a baby. Yeah. And, um, Oh, yeah. So then I went home um, and I went on a run. I was so anxious about what he would respond to that. And he was kind of like, hey, like, like, I don't want this to be awkward, but, you know, I'm not going to be around for very much longer. Uh maybe he said last night was fun I don't remember what he said and I don't know and I kind of I was like oh that means like he's not going to be around much longer but maybe he'll want to see me while he still is around <laughs> and then but basically didn't respond and then a few days later I lost it and sent him this text without consulting anyone I just was Frantically, like I, I think I was in some sort of, um, I was in, I went, I was a teacher. I was an elementary school teacher, and we had to do these all lot all day professional development things. Mm -hmm. And I would, or I went to the bathroom, and in a stall, locked myself in a stall, and typed out this text message that was like, like I may be just someone you met online, but you should consider that that I have feelings also. And another thing I remembered was that, um, I remember now was that at dinner, I was kind of like prying into what his sex life was like uh, in New York, which is where he, yeah, he, I don't know if I mentioned that before, but he was coming, he was here from New York. And he said like, I don't know, I just have sex with people and then like I lose interest. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Cute. And I was like, you need to, cons like classic fuck boy. Like I should have known from the beginning. Yeah. And so I um, 
yeah, I sent him that inflamed text message. And I think he responded with something like, uh, he responded was the thing. It was like, he was like, you're right. I don't know though. Like whatever, talk to you later or talk to you never. I don't know. I was, it was over. It had been over from the moment I invited myself to come with him to the lab whatever yeah um and Aww. I think that I mean the the subtle twist of the story though is that this past January I was in New York because I I flew into the city from Europe and I stayed with friends for a couple of days before returning to Charlottesville and I found him on my grinder grid and we were texting <laughs> back and forth and um and he did not seem to remember me uh which might mean like my pictures were better <laughs> or something but oh my god uh, and I, I have also changed like four different pairs of glasses since then and yeah so he was responsive and we almost met up but he was like yo I'm like at a party like I don't know if tonight's gonna work out but like hit me up next time you're in New York so, um, yeah, that's my, my Tinder story. Wow. So <laughs> a relatable. A, a, a comedy of errors. <laughs> really, truly. I feel like I was like equally as thirsty when I went on Tinder and I actually like made, I was thinking about it. I was single. I was sad. And then my friend who was on Tinder, I was like, show me your Tinder. Like, show me, like, who's on Tinder. <laughs> she was like, oh, I, like, went on a date with this person. And I was like, that person's cute. I'm going to make a Tinder. And I'm going to find that person. <laughs> oh, my so God. I did make a Tinder. And I did find that person. It's like, swipe, 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 swipe. And then we met in the food court at the mall. Jesus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Why did you agree to meet there? Um, Wait, was this, in, was this in Western Mass? Yeah, it was in Western so Mass. So it was at the Hampshire, Hampshire Mall. mall. <laughs> that at the Hampshire bleak. Mall food court at like 1 p.m. on a Tuesday. But you know, you know what I did, Roberto? I dated that person for like six months amazing efficient so we get the job done we get uh, the job done we we exact change (laughs) i mean we don't really (laughs) we don't really because uh yeah just like wear our hearts on our sleeves and like maybe go and send deranged texts that if you shared with a friend they'd snap your phone from your hands and chuck it somewhere or at least threaten to if you didn't change your demented and delusional ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coming on too strong is um one of my my favorite pastimes. I feel like I have no choice. Yeah, it's like the the beast gets unleashed and somebody like another being takes over my hands and they just type i think it took me like two years after that to have the kind of sex that gay men are known for which is this sort of detached and 
um, I don't know, it's sort of um, indifferent mode of bucking where you just show up and you get business taken care of and then it's over and you don't talk again unless you both enjoy it enough to meet each other consistently or a few more times or whatever. That's not me. <laughs> I need a, I need my person. <laughs> I don't yeah. care. Well, I feel like that's a great segue into our our lovely interview with Kate Folk. We're talking today to Kate Folk, who is a writer based in San Francisco. And she is currently a Stegner Fellow at Stanford University. And her short stories have appeared all over the place. Her debut short story collection, um, The Void Wife, is coming out shortly through Random House. Um, I hope I didn't miss anything. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about um, Kate's story called Out There, which was published in the March 16th, or the March 23rd issue of The New Yorker. And its premise is sort of um, this dystopian San Francisco that's close to us, but also not really, um, where in a woman decides to venture back into dating after taking a, a break and um, re recovering from unexplained uh, addiction issues. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, sort of in, sort of um, on the Tinder scene are these things or men called blots who are described as um, is it biomorphic something? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, men who are kind of um, like uh, the ideal, but not the perfect man, but also in, in the sort of two dimensional um, cardboard stock way. And they go on dates with women and take them out to dinner and subsequently trips to. Um, big sir and have sex with them and see all their data and then send horrible emails to everyone in their contact list about all the incriminating things they found out about these women on, on in their time dating um, and it's this woman's reckoning um, when she with sort of a dating situation that she finds herself in and trying to figure out whether the guy she's seeing is a blot or a real dude. So, Claire, do you want to ask the, ask the first question? <laughs> yeah, well, first we were just wondering um, how you're doing and how life has been uh, during this time of isolation and how, if at all, it's affected your writing. Yeah, I feel like it's, I've been very unproductive for the last several months and it's felt really difficult to, I guess, to care about writing in a way because it seems like things continue to unfold globally and 
you know, just the people getting sick and um, the economy collapsing, so many people being out of work. So like personally, I've, I'm in a really good position because my income is continuing to come in. It's not dependent on, you know, working out in the world. So I'm really fortunate in that way. Um, but yeah, I found it like just really hard uh, to concentrate on my own work. And I don't really know what it's going to take. Like, I just have to start again because clearly this is not going to end anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I feel like in a way I've been waiting for some, some resolution of some kind before I really get back into it. But I think it's unwise probably to wait for that because it might not come ever or for a long time. Um, but yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm constitutionally, um, like suited to this kind of isolation. So for me personally, it's been fine. Like I spend a lot of time alone anyway, and, um, you know, I'm still keeping in touch with people like over text and, and talking on the phone more than before. Um, so I've actually felt okay with that aspect of it, but I don't know, now that, now that it's becoming like summer feeling, I think it's starting to feel maybe a bit weirder even. I'm wondering how much longer this is gonna be, so. What is the vibe of the city? Um, I feel like it's been pretty good here. Like I think back in March we were, everyone was like really bracing for, for it to be bad in California um, because it's such a populous state you know, um, but I'm really, I'm glad that, uh, like the government here took such proactive measures early on. So it hasn't been, I, I think also, I mean, I've been going outside every day, like going on walks and that kind of thing, um, which definitely keeps me balanced. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I haven't really been outside of my neighborhood either in a few months, so I can't even really say what it's been like. It's amazing how quickly I've adapted to just, you know, barely leaving the house and my car has just been sitting, sitting on the street for like, I'll move it every couple of weeks or whatever, but yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then- yes, uh, I think that's- <laughs> Yeah, all this stuff has been happening at the at the same time as like the New Yorker story coming out and getting this book deal and um, all this stuff for like for my career that I've been wanting to happen forever. And so that's also like a very surreal confluence of events because it feels a bit like a simulation or something. Like it doesn't, right. I haven't quite metabolized it, I don't think, because it, it's all happened at the same time. So. Yeah, a yeah. lot of forward momentum in the midst of a lot of stillness. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm wondering, um, I mean, moving into sort of talking about this story, um, there's a lot about the, I mean, the character, the unnamed narrator sort of um, talks about being in this, or kind of exiting a period of recovery or sort of I mean I guess there when addicts might describe it as a constant state of, of recovery um, but she's kind of living with a lot of restraint and control and um, there's a lot of vulnerability there's also this sort of push and pull of like wanting desiring vulnerability 
and seeking that from Sam, the, the guy that she ends up meeting and, and dating um, on Tinder. Um, we were wondering if you could talk about how much of this is sort of self-preservation on the part of the narrator. Um, and uh, I guess the second part of the question is if it's in the nature of, of online dating um, and the risk of blots that causes her own sort of emotional distance and uh, the friction between that wanting for distance and also for vulnerability. So you mean in terms of like the self-preservation with her dating Sam, you mean just like picking Sam in the first place or, or like the way she acts throughout their encounters? Yeah, kind of like um, we had a sense that she wanted a lot of, she wanted to see a more vulnerable side of Sam, but she also was feeling pretty guarded in terms of like her own vulnerability and didn't maybe know how to reckon those two requirements of this kind of like cautionary trial period of dating a person. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's so many kind of contradictory impulses that go into dating and maybe especially for a person like this narrator because you know, my sense of her is, yeah, she's dealt with like addiction issues in the past, not only with substances, but probably also with relationships. So I feel like there's, there's this desire to really like, throw oneself into a new relationship, like completely and have this kind of reckless affair and just like, not think about the consequences and be able to be as like emotionally messy and out there, like in terms of self-presentation as as she wants but she probably knows from past experiences that that doesn't really work like it doesn't necessarily lead to like a stable adult relationship um and also that it can scare people off pretty easily right to be just completely um transparent about kind of the scariest aspects of herself um so but I feel like that is her natural kind of inclination is to um is to just put it all out there and maybe like overshare to the same way that she might like in a in a recovery meeting or whatever with other people and so yeah I think there's there's a way in which she's trying really hard to date in like a sober way and like parcel out parcel herself out and present herself in a, in a certain way um, so as not to, um, you know, come on too strong or like be too much to, to this new guy she's dating. But at the same time, that leads to this kind of lackluster dating experience that maybe she's not all that into, but she's trying, she's trying to be into it because it seems like, well, if it's boring, then it must be healthy, right? And not being able to figure out like, the difference between something that's just healthy and stable and that's why it feels kind of like devoid of drama or whether it's just like not the right match and she just isn't into Sam and so that's why she's not feeling kind of those highs and lows. Um, and I feel like with online dating that's, even, that's played up even more because it's like, um, you know, when you meet someone online you don't have that uh, existing chemistry with them that you might, if you had already known them um, from meeting in the real world. So it feels, it all feels a bit contrived, I think, um, kind of trying to like construct this whole um, 
this whole thing around this person that you really know nothing about. Yeah, I feel like that um, relates to another question we had about um, your descriptions of these like kind of unspoken codes of conduct that we all participate in when communicating around dating. Um, you describe like uh, the very intentional like waiting to a few hours to respond to a text and this kind of like calculation around not wanting to um, create any type of like imbalance and so it results in this kind of like performing of aloofness and I wonder um I don't know like where you think the, these codes come from how they develop and like if they're if they're benefiting anyone um yeah because it can become this ridiculous kind of dance where then both people are just mirroring each other and trying to affect indifference to a certain degree which seems very unsatisfying in the long run. But yeah, I don't know. I, I guess like I was writing this from my own experience as like a woman who dates men and like, I feel like there's a particular um, canon of, you know, uh, common wisdom or literature surrounding those dynamics and how, and, and all of those like self-help books, um, like, what is it, like the rules and even like that Steve Harvey, like, date like a man book or whatever um all this stuff that's that's kind of trying to teach women almost how to like manipulate men in order to get them to commit to like a monogamous relationship which is very depressing and but it's very ingrained i think in dating culture and like um yeah just this idea that um i think implicit in it is this idea that like all all women are trying to like get into a serious relationship and all men are trying to avoid that and to keep their options open and, and not get tied down. And so, so the woman at every step has to pretend like she doesn't really want that or like she's totally chill with whatever. Um, and then by doing that, maybe she can like trick the man into thinking that it's, it was his idea to, you know, be in a serious relationship. So um, it's very like regressive and um, seems depressing, but I feel like that, I mean, in a way, it's not even, it's, oops, sorry, just dropped something. Um, I feel like in a way, it, it just makes sense, though, like the, like, common sense for any two people dating is that, like, you don't want to come on too strong, right? Because um, that, like, that energy of neediness or, or desperation is very, can, can be a turnoff, like, to anyone. And um, so I think especially for this narrator though because i think she does want something real at this point and she's probably had a lot of like failed relationships or um relationships with the wrong people and so um yeah i think she has she's putting a lot of pressure on herself for sure to to kind of not sabotage this thing with sam but then at the same time that kind of distracts her from thinking about whether she even likes sam as a person which is the trick of it yeah yeah i think one of the things i found really interesting in the in the story was um the way a question of i got like male vengeance comes up um in the bots because they're designed to be empathetic um thing or i mean they're not 
are they beings or are they not beings is part of the question, but they're supposed they're designed to work at nursing homes. Mm-hmm. And then they become they kind of go, they run amok, they go rogue, and they steal these women's data in this really sort of vindictive um way and then disappear. Um which they're, they're like kind of predatory in that way. So mm-hmm. we were wondering, like, do you think, I mean, is is this common for men on the internet or like what is the, I was just wondering, we were wondering what's up with that. With how they're pred- predators basically? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing about blots is that it's, I feel like the blots themselves aren't, aren't malevolent it's just that they're they've been programmed in this way now to like accomplish this task so actually i wrote i wrote a second um story about the blots um that is about a whole relationship between a woman and a blot a blot named roger um and so that explores a lot more of kind of the blots intentions and you know they don't really know what their purpose is or they certainly don't want to like harm women they don't think that that's what they're doing they're just Mm -hmm. driven by this need to get to big sur and they don't know why it's just this like instinctive drive um but i feel like there's i mean i don't know if it's just men on dating apps but i I mean i feel like there's this there's this sense of menace like in everything to do with like the internet and our phones and apps you know i think there's just like it seems like there's threats around every corner and especially now that like AI is becoming more and more advanced. So it can become harder to tell if whoever you're communicating with is a person or a bot, um, you know? And so I think it was more like anxiety about, about that, like about technology and about um, how our lives are increasingly, um, increasingly just unfold on the internet, um, you know, rather than in real life. I think that was that was what I was thinking about more rather than um, rather than about like human men as predators. But I guess there is like a certain there's an element of that with like online dating too of um, you know wanting to know what a guy's intentions are. Like, oh, does he just want to? Is he just like a player and he just wants to um, hook up with a bunch of girls or whatever? Um, or is he like looking for something serious or what kind of guy is he? So there's definitely like a lot of that rhetoric, but for the blots themselves, I just see them as this like kind of human manifestation of like a spam email or something. I was, I really appreciated um, their backstories and kind of like the construction of what, um, what this kind of ideal balanced American masculine backstory would look like um and uh and the ways that we also like narrativize our own backstories our own like um pasts uh that kind of in whatever way lead us to the present moment um and I feel like we were also interested in these other kind of types of mimicry that come up in the story. Um, There's the moment when she's dropping Sam off at the BART station and he like holds her face and kisses her. And uh, she has the thought um, that it's like something that would happen in a movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And somehow that like diminishes uh, 
the genuineness of the of the gesture um and this this sort of like uh double consciousness that is created with if we're all kind of mimicking what what we've seen um both romantically and sexually it it creates this kind of like unattainable ideal um that's maybe also represented by these blots but then the unattainable ideal is also kind of seductive and kind of like um easier in a way too like less complicated um that's not really a question but yeah. no it's true yeah i think and that I think the the question for me with that is like, well, is it even possible to have a truly authentic experience with another person? Because you're right, it's like everything is so mediated by everything we've seen in movies and and from our own personal experiences and from hearing other people's experiences. So especially with romance, it just seems like every everything to do with dating is so like riddled with cliche that it can feel it can feel really corny and just like cringeworthy especially if it's with a person who, you know, you no longer are infatuated with or whatever. And I think there's a lot of aspects of the story, like even the whole like going to Big Sur or going to the hot springs on like a weekend getaway, if it can feel very like very rote, right? Because it's just proceeding through these kind of preordained steps in a new romance. It's like, well, after, you know, this many weeks of dating, then maybe you go on a weekend trip somewhere and it's in, you know, coastal California, it's like there's these specific places where everyone likes to go and that are considered romantic. And you like take a picture there and post it on Instagram and it can feel um, very, yeah, very inauthentic um, and very like performative. So yeah, that was definitely something I was going for with those details. And then the blots are just the next step of that, right? Because they're literally programmed to just do these certain things but you almost, it's hard to tell um, if someone even is a blot because everyone's kind of proceeding through this performance. And then there's the anxiety that comes up about the blots getting more sophisticated and, and sort of their, their range becoming wider. Um, and the, when, she, when she, the narrator, and Sam go to the hot springs and they encounter this couple who, are kind of irreconcilably different in the narrator's eyes. She's like, he's way too attractive for her and they're having way too much fun to be, to be real. Um, and it just sort of made me think of the sort of, the breaking of the expectation, of her expectations. And, um, and I thought that scene was really interesting for that reason. And it kept me wondering, like, is that guy, was he a blot? <laughs> Are blots really getting? Um, but I mean, that makes me also wonder for the, I mean, you don't really have to tell us about the the aftermath of the the second story of the blots, but whether or not they are, they will be able to break the routine of, of the dating Big Sur sort of cyclical thing and how far they're able to go. Yeah, well, so far with, with what I've written, like the second story, it ends in Big Sur and it ends with the blot vaporizing. So it's this kind mm -hmm. of inevitable. <laughs> and um, so I guess so far from what I've written, the blots really can't escape their programming, but I could see how that could be 
an interesting way of expanding things or seeing if they could kind of break out of their um, of their code. But yeah, I mean, I guess with that, with the really handsome guy at the hot springs, I was thinking that he was a blot, but he was maybe like just taking his time or something. Um, or that maybe she knew the woman he was with, like knew he was a blot and they had some kind of like arrangement or something. Because in the second story, it's, it's more like that. It's like the woman finds out that he's a blot and then comes to terms with that and decides that she loves him and wants to help him basically um, by letting him take her to Big Sur. So maybe something like that, but I was kind of thinking that he was probably a blot. But it also just exposes kind of the, the shallowness of the narrator, right? That she she's so like annoyed that this hot guy is with this like, this woman <laughs> who she thinks is average looking or whatever and yeah. Right. Um, I mean, are like, so blots are aware of their own blotness. <laughs> it's sort of <laughs> like the suggestion. I think they'd be, yeah, they become aware once it's um, like exposed in the media and, mm -hmm. you know, they can be taught, but they don't have like inherent awareness of it. They have to learn from the people around them or from the news. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I really liked the moments that are kind of like in almost gross contrast to the uh, perfection of the blot world and of the tech world. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I really appreciated the, the moment of slicing the cat food pate in <laughs> half and, and of her judgment of Alicia's chocolate milkshake. Mm -hmm. um all the moments of like sense and taste and uh uh like that engaged senses that aren't available through screens or or right. with um these the blots although they have their la lavender scented vapor um but it's quite palatable so um yeah i was interested in like the the extent to which you brought um, these uh, other senses into a story that could have been pretty, pretty smooth and pretty like uh, senseless. Yeah, that's interesting. I think when I, because I, I workshopped this story last fall in the Stegner workshop and someone commented on all the food in the story and how it's all kind of like disappointing food, like even the, the process of making the juice, you know, is very, I think it was actually more elaborate in the original draft, and I had to cut it down for the New Yorker, but yeah, it's all this kind of like healthy food, but it seems there's something that's like depressing about it because it is just kind of healthy and boring. Um, but yeah, like the cat food, I don't know, and you, you're both mentioning something about like my personal experience and it, I feel like this narrator is just literally me so I can just divulge that I mean there's like so many details that are just taken from I mean even like my apartment is like you should have closed that closet door but I feel like it's the apartment described as like my apartment the two cats I have the like black octagonal plates or whatever that I put the food on yeah so it's just like I feel like in this story it was um 
I was taking more details from my own life than I than I had previously with my stories um because I don't know why it was just kind of like fun to experiment with writing in that style because prior to this story I'd, I'd written a whole novel like in third person with multiple point of view characters and it felt very kind of um distant in a way and so I wanted to just write something that was like a first person narrator and potentially like incorporate um myself into it more and so that was a really fun thing to do with this and I felt like it um maybe it made it easy to find those details because I just put in things from my life so has writing the story made you um see your own dating life differently or sort of I mean I think we were talking earlier about the ways that dating in, in the in the age of COVID is now sort of all mediated unless you yeah. decide to go quarantine with your recently met whatever like partner it's like yeah. hard to call someone you've known for like a few weeks or something um a partner but was did you yeah was there any sort of self-realization or or I don't know something like that yeah it's so interesting that all of this coincided like the story coming out with like the shelter in place and everything because I feel like this like the themes of the story really resonate with like the COVID era because it is kind of this idea of dating and love as being a contagion or being something that is potentially harmful and maybe even shameful you know of like um, being close, being intimate with another person. I mean, literally now because of COVID, it's like, um, you, you don't even want to admit, like, hang out with another person romantically who's not in your quarantine bubble or whatever, because that is not responsible. And so <laughs> the same way that with the blots, you know, if somebody like Alicia gets blotted, then everyone's judging her. Like, how could you, how could you not have known he was a blot? And all of this stuff so I feel like it is eerily um timely in that way but yeah for me like I've been single for a while and I had I just hadn't been doing online dating um for a while until actually um until the shelter in place then I started like, getting curious about it again I think especially after writing this story and it coming out in the New Yorker I was like oh I can't like do online dating it's so I like wrote this story about online dating. Like how weird is that? Um, so yeah, but so now I've, um, something about I think being forced to not socialize was kind of like liberating for me in a way because I think I naturally don't really wanna socialize and, and I do in like small doses, but I always have like a sense of guilt about it. Like I should be doing more. I should be like putting myself out there like in the story um but it was kind of nice to like have that pressure taken off because now you know now it's like i'm told not to socialize obviously and go out and so that that kind of made me want to in a way or made me want to like explore online dating again um knowing that i wouldn't have to actually meet up with any of these people <laughs> it strangely makes it fun in a way um but yeah, so I've been doing like a little bit of that, but um, 
I think by the same token, it, it also makes it feel very pointless because I feel like there has to be a momentum toward meeting or else I already have friends, you know, and like people who I can text with and that kind of thing. So I don't necessarily need like new um, online only friends um, <laughs> or pseudo romantic friends. Um, yeah, I, I really I'm curious about that too if, if either of you have any insight into how that's been for other people because i just can't imagine that like the zoom dating thing is really workable i i don't know like are people just going to give up on dating or just break quarantine and just do it in person i imagine i don't know yeah i think that's something that we've been wondering too i've heard like a lots of different answers i mean i've I have some friends who, for instance, people in New York where it's definitely not okay to break yeah. shelter in place who are just like, am I ever going to have sex again? <laughs> am I ever going to um, go on a date again? Um, and I think there are also other regions of the country where I think it's because this situation is ostensibly less severe, I think that there are more risks um, that can be taken mm -hmm. with um, a higher degree of certainty that things might be okay and we're not gonna like spread the, spread the illness around. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I think it's really site dependent. Um, but, I, but from what I can tell, I know, I mean, I actually have a friend in the Bay Area who if, I'm, if he's listening that I'm like, I'm not, I'm sorry for bringing up his situation, but he sort of like does have like a, a person that he, he met on Tinder um, and has been going on cute little, little <laughs> dates with and, and, and things like that. And he like referred to him as his, his core boyfriend. I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll see about that. But <laughs> I think there's also a certain extent to which people are um, know that it's, uh, well, I think there is a, I think depending on who you are, there's either an anxiety or a relief of knowing like, this is, this is finite. And um, there's a, there's a terminus to the situation between us. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Claire? It's kind of, I feel like it's weird how there's like, at, on the one hand, it's, um, there's a lot less pressure because there's, it doesn't include that follow through, like you may never meet or you don't have to meet up. But at the same time, it feels like casual dating isn't really possible. And there's like a lot more negotiation. And so, I don't know, I feel like either people are gonna like really enter into relationships or like be more and more distant than ever. So there's probably other options too, but. <laughs> I read this really bogus New York Times article by some woman, I forget her name, but she um, is a scientist behind match.com. So it's basically just all like match.com propaganda. That's where she's sort of arguing like neurologically like humans need <laughs> um, or benefit 
she called, um, yeah, they benefit from uh, the sort of communication that is yielded by Zoom dating or whatever, or, um, or meeting online. But it, at the same time, there's something to say about um, sm uh, pheromones, like smell and, and yeah. touch and, and all those things. So I, I think ultimately, as I said, it's just, uh, she's just trying to get members to match.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that, and that's a problem with online dating, even just in normal times, I've always thought is that, yeah, like the, the people I've had romantic chemistry with, were often people I would never have thought that that would be the case if I were to just see like a profile, you know, and whatever bio he had written about himself. Um, so I feel like there's so much to the in-person chemistry that um, is important and that is lost in translation. But I think it's like, it can feel very like depressing because I think when I was single in normal times, I always at least had um, there always felt like there was the possibility of meeting someone any day, right? Like just out in the world. Um, like it could happen tomorrow. I could go to this thing and meet someone. And so now that's kind of, now that that's been removed and I'm literally not meeting anyone in person. Um, I think that that is hard because, um, yeah, and then it becomes like dating apps really are the only, the only possible means of meeting someone. So Hopefully that won't always be the case from now on because. Have you seen any funny um, bios on Tinder? San Francisco is kind of rich with some good content. Yeah, well that's what, that was what originally inspired the story. And it's like, I'm doing, um, or I have been on Hinge, like not really lately, I kind of lost interest. But um, yeah, like on, on Hinge, it was just so funny thinking about it through the lens of like blots because there were a couple guys on there who literally seemed like blots. Like there, there was one, um, one guy who was very handsome. Like, and when I first saw him, I was like, oh, that guy would never, I just saw it exactly like my story. I was like, well, that guy would never be into me. Like, let's just see. And then, and then we matched and then he was just messaging me in this very kind of wooden way about like bands or something. And <laughs> like very earnest, but very, like there was kind of nothing there for me to hang on to. I kind of just wanted to make fun of him or something. Um, <laughs> it was so, it was just so funny because even his pictures that looked almost like, maybe he was like a, a bot or something. I don't know. Um, but he was yeah, like, I love live, live music performances. At, it was literally <laughs> at that. There was, there was a line that said he, he loves like music genres or something. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? Mean? Oh no! <laughs> love music genres. It just sounded. It didn't sound like a real human thing to say. So I don't know. I also think it's really funny how um, I think, especially in in big cities um, or coastal cities, these pictures of people that just look so staged and um, and professional to the extent where it's like are the, these look like stock images and less like they've been taken on a phone or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it could just be filters or something or maybe some people just have that airbrushed look. I don't know. <laughs> and it, it does seem like people always, they have the same kind of series of images too. It'll be, you know, in the same locales and the same like genres of picture. So 
that sameness, I think, can be very um, kind of uncanny and yeah. 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 Well, um, I wonder if we should wrap up so that we can all um, resume our quarantine lives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> our very any, busy lives. Have you been reading anything, uh, anything good in, in this time of isolation? Um, I read. Uh, in the dream house um by carmen machado uh which i liked a lot and i read i finished moby dick which i had started like a long time ago um but that was kind of my quarantine read and then i just started reading um frankenstein which i don't think i've ever read and also um that book perfume um mm. i don't know if either of you read it but it's an older book too and it was Kurt Cobain's like favorite novel of all time <laughs> that he read just over and over again. So, um, so I'm interested to read that. Uh, but yeah, I've been finding it difficult to concentrate on reading too, to be honest. So I've been getting through books, but very slowly. I don't even know what I've been doing all these days. But, Same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking at Twitter, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for talking to us, Kate. It was really, really great to talk about this story, which we both really admired and loved. So, thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you so much. Yeah, this was fun. All Have right. Our next segment is a review of the Netflix reality show Too Hot to Handle, which, I mean, the premise is. Odd. So it's this group of international hotties with either, I don't know, like huge muscles or, <laughs> or tiny felt waist, like hot body, hot body ladies. And um, they are put on in this resort. I don't remember what the timeline is. Is it like they're there for a month or something? For a month, yeah. Yeah, they're there for a month. And basically the producers have just chosen the most depraved, hedonistic group of sex fiends that they could find and put them all in one place. And eventually uh, they find out that they are being observed and their behavior monitored by this AI bot, like this cone-shaped bot named um, Lana. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, Lana is sort of sets down the, the ground rules. So it's like, you're all in the running to earn $100,000 or some stupid amount of prize money like that. But the caveat is that they need to abstain from sex, touching, kissing, masturbation, um, and their ultimate reward, less than the money, is their personal growth. <laughs> yeah, and their ability to be um, in emotional as well as physical dynamics. 
Um, yeah, it's sort of the thing about, um, and they have all these workshops that are adapting to their their inner turmoil and, and their flaws. Or yeah, <laughs> and all the workshops are like binary gendered and um, uh, really something. But it really brings up like a lot of questions and it also has these weird um parallels both to uh Kate Folk's story but also to this moment where like two people's desire or like the desire of the individual has like real consequences potentially for a group and so there's this way in which in the show there's um, a lot of group discussions of things that in another context would be like private or secret. And um, that was like really interesting to watch unfold and at times kind of moving in terms of just how, um, just how kind of understanding people were of each other, even when even when people a kiss costs three thousand dollars. A kiss costs three thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was. I thought it was really funny. The sort of parallel with that, with um, our current situation and in the age of the pandemic, where you know you have you need to put your own interest or your the group interest above your own and not just that but also um the sort of ways that people around you are monitoring your behavior and and the sort of policing that happens <laughs> <laughs> so there's this one guy who who's called um kells who's named the accountant because he's who sort of monitoring <laughs> I, mean, I think he he's hot like I would he's not just hot but he's sort of I don't know there's something I admired his um his sort of steadfastness towards winning the prize he was like yeah like we need that money y'all like whatever you like get it together yeah <laughs> you can't you really can't keep it in your pants for like <laughs> 30 days yeah there's like a character called Jesus who's like there's this effect that they do where they like make him glow and they the sound effect is like the oh <laughs> and Every he's time. like he's kind of flirting with the robot all the time um they all are there's a way that the robot is so sexualized in this strange way yeah the Brits call her like you little minx or <laughs> Lana, you little minx. <laughs> yeah, and Lana's also like a, she's like surveillance. She's also like morality. She's also kind of like their life coach. And yeah. um, uh, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, maternal figure. Um, I loved also, I don't know. I mean, this is going back to sort of the, we're moving on from this, but I just wanted to bring up how funny some of the intro, you know, there's like the, oh in the first God. episode, the, the characters are sort of introducing each other. There's like one guy who's like, yeah, I'm a feminist. Or there's <laughs> like, 
the Jesus characters, like, I'm a deep thinker. I think about everything a lot. <laughs> yeah. And like, he says, I want to spread my seed with women from all around the world. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yeah. And then there's um Haley who doesn't know what language her tattoo is in. Um, but I I was really endeared to her. She reminded me a lot of Lexi on Cheer. And she was this kind of like outcast. She was also like, had like- She was the one who was like, all these people suck. Like I hate all you people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and she also was like, um, she was also like hot and oh and she also said in her in in her introduction that she found women who looked exactly like her really hot <laughs> but she ends up and she gets she falling in love or she ends up having a thing for the kim kardashian looking girl francesca yeah who is this, which is looking like I, I kind of relate to Francesca. Like, I don't know. There's something about her that's oh, just, like, yeah. speaks to me. <laughs> yeah. I was texting you during, like, I think you're Francesca. I think it's true. <laughs> um, there's this part where there's, I wrote this down. There's, like, this part where someone's, like, how big were your boobs before that? And Francesca goes, they were big. <laughs> and then <laughs> it just changes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh. And the other like structurally interesting thing about the show is that there's, um, there's a narrator that is kind of like, um, omniscient and, uh, comic relief and is, uh, kind of knows everybody's secrets before their secrets are out to the, to the group. Um, but I thought like, like narratively and structurally, like between Lana and Lana's input and the third person narrator, and then um, like the kind of dialogue between everybody, including the like separate interviews, um, there was a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, the um, that omniscient narrator loves to make fun of the cast yeah. <laughs> she has something funny to say with every stupid thing that especially the guys like the guys were so dumb sometimes in every way yeah. from the way that jesus like sexualizes lana to the way like the way the they're just so fucking arrogant and and into themselves <laughs> yeah which is like it's weird because the there are certain women on the show who are really their kind of stupidity um is really amped up and to like a scripted extent um and meanwhile like Bryce from LA thinks he can play the the piano and it's just it's just not true. It's um, terrible. But the 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 dialogue does have a lot of like funny turns of phrase. Like there's a moment when Francesca refers to her feelings for Harry as unharvested, <laughs> which I really liked. Um, <laughs> 
or um, somebody says that they're not the not the brightest spark in the book. <laughs> was that Chloe? Yeah, it was Chloe. Yeah, Chloe's like the she's like the the token dumb British girl. Yeah. In the show. Yeah, and she gets she gets strong feelings for people, but then she's like, mm, there's no spark. And I found her pretty relatable, actually. Um, yeah, but it's, it's a, and, and in, in reference to Kate's story, like, it's a very good, um, kind of, uh, experiment in ideals and in, um, both, like, uh, ideals of physical beauty, but also of, how something that maybe like is seemingly really perfect translates into conversation or connection or personal growth and um and how all of these people like ultimately were really struggling with their demons and their fears and insecurities and pasts and at times i found it like quite moving in a kind of i think the workshop parts are really move where I mean, the workshops are. are so cheesy. Yeah. They're so dumb sometimes, but I also felt like they were, because they were so sort of, they were kind of the the team builders you would have at a corporate workshop. <laughs> but Very but they nevertheless, that. they nevertheless like pierce through the humanity of these people who, I don't know, but seem seemingly just were only interested in fucking as many people as they could, or they were only interested in the game, the, the game of seduction. And as soon as you get the reward of sex, it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why it's interesting when you know they when Harry and Francesca, who are the sort of they're two central couples in the show, but Harry and Francesca are, are kind of the central couple because they have so many ups and downs in their relationship and so you kind of are rooting for them because you don't really know whether or not they will commit to growing their relate to so hashtag growing their relationship yeah but um so when they are given a chance to redeem themselves um and to regain all the money that they've lost for their group. I just found that to be like such a great moment in the show. Of, I was, was so satisfied. Yeah, it was unexpected. Um, I was touched by it. I was happy about it. They ended up regaining so much money for the group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was like thirty thousand dollars like <laughs> against all odds um and everyone's yeah. like they, they didn't do it like they like definitely fucked in the yeah. oh yeah they they earned um they earned a a night in the sort in the luxury suite oh yeah and the luxury <laughs> the luxury suite is like funny too um as like the only space of privacy because whenever they're on dates and Lana, they're kind of like on dates sanctioned by Lana, but like everybody is watching from a hundred feet away, which I also really liked um, the kind of audience of it. 
but yeah, a little privacy, a little privacy goes a long way. Seriously. Yeah. So the show is bingeable. I hate that term. I don't want to use, I don't want to say binge anymore. <laughs> the show is, <laughs> uh, is the equivalent of a page turner book. It's pulpy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, hot and fun I watched it in a day I just like made a day out of it I was I too was on the island with them and the island was my bed yeah the island was my couch I was like so jealous that they were even able to like touch it all (laughs) yeah yeah but you could feel the tension I feel like the tension was familiar um especially right now yeah anyway that's been our our podcast this week that's been our episode yeah thanks for listening we love you we miss you stay safe bye bye we hope you're cooking for yourself yeah maybe we'll and doing other nice things yeah bye